Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Thursday, November 25. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Katrina Blowers. And Katrina Blowers, the vaccine mandate has become very intense in Australia. So that's the sound of tens of thousands of anti-mandate protesters taking to the streets in capital cities right across the country over the weekend. There's even been threats of violence towards state premiers. This is starting to get really awful, like just horrible. It's caused divisions on the floor of federal parliament and here's Tassie MP Jackie Lambie giving her view. Being held accountable for your own actions isn't called discrimination. It's called being, you wouldn't believe it, a goddamn bloody adult. That's right as being an adult. It's putting others before yourself. And that's what this country's supposed to be about. Wow, pretty strong lecture there from Jackie Lambie. So, yeah, it's become really divisive, the vaccine mandate debate. And you've got to wonder, Katrina, in a country where we have one of the highest vaccination rates in the world, 85% double-dosed over the age of 16... How did it come to this? That's the question we're asking in this episode's briefing. But first, here are today's headlines. More than 80 backpackers and staff at a hostel in Byron Bay have been locked down for a week after being deemed close COVID contacts. Police cordoned off the hostel in the New South Wales North Coast town overnight with the 84 people inside to undergo testing as they wait out the lockdown. So police will have to monitor this backpackers round the clock. I'm not sure if they'll be allowed to go for a swim. Um, it does. <laughs> I think it would worry people that these you know, backpackers, if any of them have COVID, that they've been out in the community, out and about, possibly um, in the nightclubs. And there have been concerns for Byron Bay because of uh, lower vaccination rates compared to other parts of the state and also visitors coming in um, yeah. that they would see a spike in cases, but they haven't so far, which is good news. Yeah, well, so meanwhile, Australians looking forward to an overseas holiday in New Zealand will have to wait until April next year after their government revealed their reopening plan. In time for ski season, though, Tom. <laughs> well, look, we can go to other places now. So, you know, whatever, New Zealand. Um, they're, they're, <laughs> look, they're taking it really slowly. Um, they're allowing their own citizens back from Australia in January and they're still going to have to do seven days of self-isolation and then the rest of us coming in by April. So they're taking it very, very slowly. Um, that New Zealand travel bubble didn't last that long this year, did it? The Prime Minister's under fire for not directly condemning the comments of Queensland MP George Christensen after he said this about vaccine mandates yesterday. The totalitarian path, the path that we are unquestionably on, has never ended well. The solution is a rediscovery of human dignity along with, and I don't say this lightly, civil disobedience. Yeah, so the Prime Minister responded by saying he condemns any statements encouraging law-breaking, but he wouldn't single out George Christensen I don't know if that's because the government has a very thin majority, which means someone like Christensen um, has a lot of power over the government at the moment. And what highlights how irresponsible Christensen's comments are, Katrina, is that at the same time as he was saying that on the House of Reps floor, a Tamworth man was being arrested, accused of using social media platforms to advocate acts of terrorism and violence against prominent Australian politicians. Yeah, and we should remember it was just on the weekend that the WA Premier and his family were threatened with beheading. So it's awful language and a really disturbing development on the floor of Parliament. 
And French police say at least 27 refugees and migrants have died while trying to cross the English Channel to the UK after their boat capsized. So French politicians have blamed criminal people smugglers as they confirm the news. Uh, British and French authorities are trying to search the channel for some survivors, but it's not looking too good at this stage. This comes amid record numbers of migrants trying to cross the channel to the UK. According to the British authorities, more than 25,000 people have made the journey to the UK in small boats this year, which is more than three times the total in 2020. So no, this one's not a movie script. Mm. NASA has launched a mission to see if it can use a spacecraft to deflect an asteroid in what's being described as an attempt to test the world's first planetary defence system. Yeah, no Bruce Willis involved in this one. (laughs) Um, The robotic craft is being carried on board a SpaceX-owned rocket, which lifted off yesterday. It'll spend 10 months travelling 11 million kilometres into space to intercept the asteroid Dimorphos. That makes any road trip I've ever done seem (laughs) really pathetic by comparison. Uh, The robot craft will then be launched at 24,100 kilometres an hour into the asteroid and it's going to try and change its direction. So this asteroid isn't actually posing any threat to Earth, which is good news. But imagine if they changed the direction and then it did come towards Earth. Wow. (laughs) Hopefully that doesn't happen. That's a disturbing thought. Um, Yeah, basically they're, they're... trying to develop a technique to change the direction of asteroids in case there is one that's threatening us down the track. So I'd like to thank NASA personally for that. That's good to know that they're out there working on these future problems. And hip-hop star Genesis Owusu has become the most awarded musician of the year at the ARIA Awards overnight. I love this tune. Um, this guy's amazing. So he's a Ghanaian Australian from Canberra. He was up for seven trophies and ended up winning four of them, which is amazing. The event was at the Taronga Zoo in Sydney last night. He won Best Album for his Smiling With No Teeth, Best uh, Hip Hop Release and Best Independent Release. Meanwhile, the Best Artist Award went to Kid Leroy. He beat out Kylie Minogue, Keith Urban and Vance Joy for that one. What an amazing year he's oh. had, Tom. Nominated for a Grammy. His hit Stay with Justin Bieber has gone triple platinum. His catalogue has had more than 3 billion global streams. He's 18 years old too. Yeah. Genesis is like 23. Yeah. Yeah. So other winners include Spacey Jane. They got Song of the Year for Booster C. Rufus Soul won Best Group and Best Dance Release. Yeah, and this was the first time they removed the gender categories for the awards, which is why Kid Leroy won Best Artist and um, not Best Male Artist. So um, that's an interesting development as well. All right, in just a moment, vaccine mandates. All right, now to our briefing on vaccine mandates. Now, I think we always knew this was going to cause tension, but it's Mm. been absolutely explosive. So we're asking, how did it come to this? And we're going to speak to a concerned former nurse and also Dr. Nick Coatesworth. But we wanted to give you some of the key background first. So, yeah, we wanted to wrap our heads and your heads around an overview of what these mandates actually look like in each state. So Western Australia has the broadest mandates. Approximately 75% of the workforce there will have to get the vaccine to keep working. So this comes in two groups. The first have to be vaccinated by the end of the year, and they include health and community care, 
people like police, border workers, prison workers, emergency and abattoir staff. And then there's a second group who need to be vaccinated by the end of Jan. And this goes much broader. Construction workers, people who work at servos, hospitality staff, bakeries, supermarkets. That list is really long. It involves around 1.1 million workers out of the 1.4 million total labour force. Yeah, Victoria's laws are also relatively broad, applying to around 1 million workers, which is about a third of their total labour force. So that list is long too, obviously. Health, teachers, construction, airport, hospo, ports, mining, media, and the list goes on. And the deadline in Victoria for the second dose actually kicks in on Friday. The Northern Territory has comparably broad mandates and the other states have mandates that aren't so broad. For example, in New South Wales, it does include teachers but doesn't include hospitality, retail, mining, media, public transport as well. Queensland, it doesn't include teachers but does include hospitality. So you can see it's pretty complex and it starts to get very detailed from there, especially when some employers have their own individual policies but that is an overview on the mandate situation as it stands now. Well, I think, Katrina, actually, that complexity is part of the problem that you've got different rules in different states. Uh, I think a national approach would be a lot simpler and maybe take out some of the the tension and complexity, although I will say that the states do have very different vaccine rates, so they are dealing with different problems. So that's an overview of the mandates themselves. Just to touch on the reaction so far... It really kicked off in September in Melbourne when the mandate on construction workers sparked those massive protests which shut down the Westgate Bridge. At the same time, workers from those mandated industries in lots of states started protesting on a regular basis, culminating in the biggest protest so far over the weekend, where there are around 10,000 people in Sydney and Melbourne and thousands in the other cities. As we mentioned, fringe elements of that movement have threatened violence against state premiers. They've been in a war of words with the PM Scott Morrison too, who's pushed back on the need for the mandates and a handful of coalition crossbenchers crossed the floor and have threatened support for the government just on this issue. Those opposed to the mandate say it strikes at the heart of their ability to have autonomy over their bodies. Supporters of vaccines say those people who won't get vaccinated are putting their autonomy above other other people's health. Yeah, it's a very interesting and vexatious debate. And um, I think, you know, in some of those areas, say a bakery or a servo, there's a pretty reasonable debate to be had there. But I think most people want their doctors and nurses and frontline health workers vaccinated. So that's why we've chosen to speak to a nurse who's now a former nurse who is really concerned about the mandates. And he works for an organisation called the Nurses Professional Association, which we should say is not an official union, but a group set up by practising nurses, which has been pretty vocal in protests around the country. Brad Hudson, thank you for joining us on the briefing. Why are you and so many others so angry about the mandates? Tom, look, I think you can define it in a very simple way. Do you think the government should have total control over what you do with your body or not? And I think you can define this whole issue down to that one question. And we say that the government doesn't have total control over what you do with your body, even if they say it's with the best of intentions. The effect that we're seeing from this mandate is that it's the largest mass sacking in Australia's history. There'd have to be at least about 8,000 nurses and healthcare workers who have been sacked in the eastern states alone. I think there might be sympathy for some professions like transport workers or hospitality workers, which are mandated in, in some states. 
But healthcare is one area that I think for most people it, it makes sense because it's such an important line of defence against COVID, our healthcare system. Surely for you representing nurses, you don't want people going to hospital and getting sicker because a nurse hasn't been vaccinated. Well, uh, you could look at this from a few different points of view. The, f- the first one is that nurses are citizens just like everyone else, and they have a right to bodily autonomy just like everyone else. Having been a nurse for 20 years myself, we're not there just to be absolutely selfless. We have rights to our own uh, physical health as well. So in that conversation, Brad went on to raise issues around how the COVID vaccine has only been provisionally approved by the TGA. He said he was concerned about the side effects. He even disputed some of the science and whether the vaccine is actually effective in reducing transmission of the virus. So let's set the record straight here. Yes, the vaccines do have provisional approval by the TGA. This is the same process as any vaccine approved in this country. Uh, The TGA is now accepting rolling clinical data, which speeds up that full approval process. But even to get provisional approval, Tom, you, you need to meet rigorous standards of safety and effectiveness. And as for the science, we know that vaccines work at both reducing the severity of COVID COVID also reducing its transmission. So let's get the perspective of an infectious disease and public health professional now. Dr Nick Coatesworth was the face of the vaccine advertising campaign. He was also former Deputy Chief Medical Officer. Nick, thanks for joining us. Are you surprised how toxic and divisive the mandate debate has become? Yeah, Tom, I am. And I'll tell you why, because ultimately we're doing so well in this country. You'd think by hearing the debate as it is at the moment that we've got sort of enormous problems with our vaccine rollout and uptake. But in actual fact, we're world leading and we'll continue with that. So the whole idea that we need this um, sort of vicious debate about mandates is very surprising to me. The debate has come about because states are really pushing hard on this. Uh, Do you reckon that some states have gone too far? I think we need to take a step back and see why we might need mandates and the pros and the cons. So obviously the big pro of having mandates is that you think you're going to convince people who wouldn't otherwise get vaccinated who are sitting on the fence to actually get themselves vaccinated and thereby increase the uptake. But I think what we've seen in Australia is that the uptake has actually increased because of cases within the community. And that's what's actually been driving uptake. The cons of mandates, of course, is that for a personal choice that people are making, you are in some way denying them participation in society. So my view, just to summarise, as it always has been, is that mandates are useful if they're Uh, short term only, just to get that extra couple of percent, and that they don't completely exclude people from their participation in society. Okay, so let's focus on WA, which is your home state. You work at a Canberra hospital, but you're from WA, so I imagine you keep a pretty close eye on things. That seems to be the strongest mandate, looking at 75% of workers there under that mandate. What do you think of that policy? Do you think that goes too far, given your broader view that you've just expressed? It potentially does go too far. There are very select groups that you need to mandate the vaccine for. Obviously, for healthcare workers, that's really important. For aged care workers, it's really important. There are other companies that have brought this in and state governments, so it's not exclusive to state governments, who have taken the view that from a work health safety perspective, 
a mandate is important. But I think once you're out of the health sector, the argument for mandates starts becoming a little bit more challenging to justify. Ultimately, the state of Western Australia wants to get its numbers up. And I think what we've seen on the East Coast is you don't get those numbers up until you've got community cases. So it doesn't have community cases. It's Mm -hmm. looking for mandates as a means to do that. But again, I would like to see them time limited. I would like to see them removed effectively when we reach a certain target. So that's interesting because I remember, I think it was back in February, you were initially opposed to um, mandatory vaccines for healthcare workers and you were saying that you thought it was better to convince them to get the jab voluntarily. So what kind of changed your mind there? Yeah, that's a really good question. And that's exactly right. I've always been someone who prefers to convince. And I guess the reason for that is because I think that if you can convince someone to get vaccinated, they'll stick with that view and uh, they'll become pro-vaccine. If uh, you force people to get vaccinated, then potentially you're rusting on people uh, in opposition to vaccines. However, it was clear to me uh, in the months subsequent to February that we weren't getting the percentages that we needed in healthcare. Now, when you're talking about healthcare, we need to punch well in excess of 90%. You really don't want anyone unvaccinated coming into your institution with COVID-19 because whilst we can accept COVID circulating within the community, we do need to keep our healthcare institutions largely COVID-free as we do for other infectious diseases. We don't like flu outbreaks in in healthcare institutions either. So I think that's where we needed to push a bit harder on the mandate for the healthcare workers. So do you reckon there is a state position right now that gets that balance right? Uh, I think probably the closest is New South Wales. I've got to be careful uh, saying that because I end up being accused of being, you know, (laughs) pro-Dom Peritet and all that kind of stuff. But I do think that's probably the closest to a, a balanced position where you've got, you know, a clear need for getting the numbers up. You say, well, vaccination passports, we're going to have them for a while whilst our numbers are still going up. The intent is obviously to get another couple of percent to the total and then in time we will allow all our citizens full participation in the community. So that's probably the right balance. But again, we've got to have a look at it from public health terms. And I think now that we're punching above 90% and will do in most states and territories, if not all of them, You've got to ask, is it worth imposing restrictions at that point? Is the public health imperative sufficient? And this is where you get into the kids debate. Is it reasonable to impose restrictions on children 5 to 11 or indeed 12 to 15 when you know that your numbers for COVID are coming down? That was Dr Nick Coatesworth. And wow, what an issue this has become, Katrina. It will still continue Mm. to divide people in Australia. Thankfully, our vaccination rates are are 85% across the the country, which is amazing. I think this issue will be even more full-on in a country like Austria at the moment, whose vaccination rates are much lower, and they're starting to see cases go up in winter and the deadly impact of the virus play out even more. Tomorrow on The Briefing, the exploding COVID numbers in Europe. Listener.